All right, bear with me a bit here because I got notes. So we've been going on our little Monty Python trip that took uh, took a while to get through the the pre-Monty Python shows that all kind of converged to become Monty Python. And then we finally got to the main event and watched the Monty Python. So uh, this week, to kind of cap it off, the one show that kept coming up from the Monty Python guys as a direct influence to what they did was that Spike Milligan show, mm-hmm. Q. Oh, yes. So Spike Milligan is, uh, you know, you had heard of him. I had not. Maybe the longest Wikipedia page of anyone we've talked about so far. One of the longest. Crazy long. So it's like, and I don't actually know who this guy is yet. I figure what will kind of be better is we'll just watch this. And that's how I'll know who Spike Milligan is. Because you could get into some serious details. This Same guy. with me. Like, he's a name that I'm familiar with. But really, I can't say anything about him one way or the other. Right. And, I mean, yeah, apparently he just uh, was always just involved in media and was working his whole life. Just never stopped because he had the list of stuff. This guy started in radio, just like most people, moved on to uh, television, specifically with this Q5 show we're going to watch, and uh, but then wrote books. Just never-ending. The list of stuff this guy did is just, just enormous. But for our purposes, so his real name is Terrence Milligan. He didn't like that name, so he, he decided to go by Spike. And he became known through radio with The Goon Show, was the main thing. And then onto television, where this Q series was maybe his most famous or his most well-known. A surreal sketch show and inspiration for Monty Python's Flying Circus. So Q ran from 1969, it started just before Monty Python, to 1982. Over six series for 38 episodes. So it, it's a long run. It's yeah. a long run. And uh, the title, either people call it just the Q series or they call it Q5 because season one was called Q5 and then season two was Q6 and then Q7, Q8, Q9. And uh, so most people just call it Q5 because that was the first one. And there's all these different theories about what the name means that, uh, I don't know, I was reading them and I'm like, I don't know, these all seem pretty random and weird. None of them really stood out. But this one, whether or not it's true, I like this one, that uh, Q5 was a technical scale used at the time for archival stuff, and Q5 meant severe degradation of picture and sound. And then Q6 is worse, Q7 is worse. So the joke would be that this show's a piece of shit and it's just getting worse. (laughs) So I don't know, he never really said if that is why it's called that strange title. Like, why would the first one be called Q5? So it, it sounded the most likely, and it's the most funny. And uh, this series is described, you know, we're always talking about all the sketch stuff we've been watching, how sketch is always really hit and miss, Monty Python included. So this series is described as extremely hit or miss, you know, like some of it is just not funny, but extremely influential in one of these like pillars of the BBC and of British comedy and of the modernization of comedy. And pretty much every member of Monty Python spoke about being influenced by Q5 at some point they mentioned it, either at the time or later in biographies and stuff. And they said that on the one hand, the general vibe in the Monty Python camp was they were kind of bothered by the fact that they had this idea for this stream of consciousness comedy that flowed from one thing to the other. And then just before, six months before their show came out, this other guy put out a show that was doing that same thing. And they were like, ah, oh, fuck, <laughs> this guy stole our idea before we even got to do it. But on the other hand, Uh, John Cleese specifically said that him and Terry Jones were talking about this Q show and that uh, seeing him 
do away with punchlines and flow from one thing to the next really helped give them the bravery to go even further because he said a lot of the early writing sessions for Monty Python were a lot more uh, what you'd consider like a standard sketch show, you know, set up, punchline, end of the scene, whatever. And this Q show kind of, uh, yeah, made them feel more comfortable getting weirder than they would have been otherwise. So it definitely had a positive effect on Monty Python. It makes me think of, uh, I heard a similar thing about um, William Gibson, the guy who wrote uh, Neuromancer and kind of coined like cyberspace and came up with a lot of these these ideas of uh, what, you know, what later became the internet age. He kind of foresaw a lot of stuff. But just before his first book, Neuromancer, came out, what's that Harrison Ford movie? Blade Runner came out, the Ridley Scott movie. And there's a ton of stuff in Blade Runner that's based on an old um, Philip K. Dick story that is very similar and and uh, William Gibson said he felt the same way as that. Like, he left the theater, and he's just like, fuck. Like, this thing that I'm almost done working on that I thought was all revolutionary, somebody else did it before me. <laughs> like, what the hell? And in that case, both things became famous. Blade Runner's famous, Neuromancer's famous. It all worked out for everybody. And that's what you kind of wondered. Like, do people copy off one another subconsciously and they're not realizing it? Right. Or is everybody kind of on on the same wavelength? Yeah, I think it's probably that, especially because we're all, you know, in the same society. We're all in the same basic pop culture. We're all, you know, it's all the same stuff influencing us. Yeah. So it makes sense that parallel... But today, when you've got uh, internet uh, all over the world, you can see that. But in these days, if British television is doing something that... Um, American TV is also doing the same thing. It's like airplanes. Everybody seemed to be on the same ballpark, like, hey, the planes were ready to get up in the air in 1909. The, the Wright brothers were the first ones to do it. Electric light bulbs, same thing. Well, Edison's mucking around with the electrical light bulb over he, over in the United States, over in France, some other dudes, just about ready to do it too. Like, <laughs> go figure. Yeah, like I know some people I know are really into the idea of the collective unconscious, you know, of like we're all unconsciously connected in a literal way, just somehow, like the brain waves of the planet, where I, I think like what happens functionally is the same as that. I don't think we really are connected like that. I just do think it's like if you're drawing from your environment, there is only so many conclusions you can come to based on what you have at hand you know and yeah we're just all in the same same world and i guess if you were like really ahead of the curve if you were like 200 years ahead of the curve you wouldn't even be able to do anything with that <laughs> you know only the people who are a little bit can see yeah. just a little further yeah so it makes sense that Leonardo multiple, da Vinci, famous yeah. famous for that i mean there he was with the with airplanes kites all these things yeah in 1500 but there was nobody else seemed to be in the same ballpark. Yeah. So. And again, yeah, I do think, and also, yeah, you can only go so far ahead. Like, even if we got teleported back to prehistoric days, we could know about a computer. We're not going to be able to make one, <laughs> you know? So it's just, yeah, you're kind of limited. And then, yeah, it would almost be weirder if only one person had an idea out of billions of people. But it is still surprising. With this show, um, as opposed to the example of Blade Runner and, and Neuromancer, the Monty Python guys kind of said the opposite sort of thing happened here where at the time they really felt like Spike Milligan beat them to the punch and like, oh man, what the fuck? But now that you look back, this is not a well-known show. It's not famous the way Monty Python is. And they're like, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Just 
it's just the roll of the dice. Some things hit, some things don't. So to them, this show was the heaven and the earth. But to the world, it's not Monty Python. <laughs> so yeah, so we'll see. All right, so uh, most episodes of this show still exist. There's only four episodes missing, and they're all from the first Q5 season, because again, that like the worst policy of all time where they used to not archive stuff and tape over things, and like, man, <laughs> so dumb. So, uh, so I couldn't find the very first episode. So I have episode two, and uh, even this surviving copy, it's like a black and white tele-recording, which I don't know quite what that means, but originally this was broadcast in color, but the only one that survives because of the horribleness of archiving back then is in black and white. But then I also found an episode uh, from Q9, the fifth series, episode five from 1980. So I figured we could watch the 1969 episode and the 1980 episode, do our standard start and end type yeah, thing. and compare, see if they, see if it holds up. So yeah, uh, Q5 episode two and Q9 episode five for anyone who wants to watch along. And the magic word this week is the tree fell on her. I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess I'd just say I just I don't get it. <laughs> of all the stuff we have been watching for the last year and a half or two years, whatever it is, personally, that is the worst. I mean, it's the weirdest, that's for sure. It's weirdest, but it's a piece of crap. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I liked it. <laughs> yeah, like that's, Here I guess, we are five years later or six years later, however many years after the first one, and it's worse. And you really feel like you sort of know his world, right? Like there's going to be dentures, there's going to be a Hitler mustache, there's, <laughs> like he's got things that he... comments about Jews, you know, he's... But oftentimes the early shows, you watch them and you figure, well, after they're at it for a bit, they're going to have some growth, they're going to have some direction. They had absolutely nothing. And I was sitting there watching it thinking, okay, I'm looking at it now in 2022, but if this had been 1980, 75, 80, whatever, and I was watching it then, would I have felt any differently about it? And no, I wouldn't have. It was a piece of crap. Yeah, there was much, much better stuff before and after at this point. I guess that's what I would say about like the first one we watched, the pre-Monty Python one, is if you are kind of the first guy to do these kind of weird let's break the fourth wall let's admit that it's a sketch let's uh you know make fun of the bbc and their bad budget you know you're not going to hit it out of the park the first time you're of the course, first guy you're going to accept that there will be weaknesses in it um things that need to be tightened up but by the time you're six, seven years yeah. down the line or whatever, you expect it to have done those things. Well, that's where well, I feel it like, didn't. yeah, if we had only watched that first episode, I think we still would have not really been on board, but we probably would have been a lot kinder to it. But yeah, when you see 30 episodes down the road, yeah, it's like, okay, this is not for and me. It's just a bunch of stuff that they just were throwing stuff in. And they weren't even connecting it as much as they did in the first show. Yeah, if anything, yeah, that, that 1980s one was even more bizarre and i was thinking as we were watching it like i just uh i'm just not seeing the connection like if you did just open an encyclopedia to a random page and you just put your finger on something and then pick something else and then pick something else and put them all together in a sketch how would that be any different you know like where is the unifying thing that makes any of this make sense <laughs> yeah, little bloody wonder they had to put that song in the middle 
that was the, maybe the only saving grace, and it was awful. Yeah. Well, but, that's a, what I find so weird is usually I love this type of stuff. You know, like we were talking about Monty Python, uh, you know, showing the cameras, or, and then we watched um, like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, one of my favorite shows. Usually this is my thing. Like I like when you deconstruct television and you turn it inside out. But yeah, this one, it's just like it was too too much of that. And it just, I don't know why, it just wasn't funny. I mean, there's like a, literally a guy reading the script during the sketch and it's just like yeah that's too far that's not funny <laughs> that's like get your shit together <laughs> you know? yeah just weird and uh the other thing this kind of reminded me of is uh saturday night live gives me this vibe a lot of uh the jokes not necessarily funny they just are kind of they just are obnoxious about it they just really push we're telling jokes right now, like that vibe, but there is no joke. <laughs> there is nothing funny yeah, happening. Yeah, but this, there really wasn't any jokes. Right. I mean, they throw in stupid things like the big boa constrictor coming out with somebody's legs sticking out some woman's leg where he supposedly ate it. But to what end? For yeah. what purpose? Yeah, like that's what's weird is it's stuff that I feel like I should like. Like they have this little sketch in the 1980s episode where they're at uh, the this restaurant and it's just like weird, dumb jokes and misunderstandings about... Uh, that's the other thing too. This did have a surprising number of joke punchline and they're all shit of like we've... Uh, reserved a table well then you'll have to stand because you didn't reserve any chairs like is the joke that it's not a joke because this that doesn't work either but anyway in that one halfway through a waiter comes out and just starts slamming a giant hammer into stuff and picks a person up and throws them through the window that should be exactly what i like that everything just went to shit for no reason and it's just bizarre and it's still somehow not funny. <laughs> like, how did he manage to make total non-sequiturs to me, it, and violence it, not it, funny? It was like, uh, you know when you have a dream just before you wake up, you kind of move from weird thing to weird thing to weird thing in your dream. And then when you wake up, you say, geez, I was kind of like, I was kind of all over the place. And I was in these weird different places and people were in my dream that I hadn't thought of forever in a day. But like, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. That's what that was like. It was just like one weird little scene after another with no connection. Yeah, well, that's one thing, too. Yeah, that like the Monty Python guys were saying that that idea they had for our stream of consciousness and sketches flowing from one to the other, like the Monty Python version flows much better. It makes much more sense. This literally just stopped. Just like, we're done. We're just done. And it's like, really? <laughs> like, what was the one? Um, the silent film. Went on and on and on to no end. It just stopped. It's like, well, why? Why do we do that? <laughs> and yeah, like that, that dream logic too. Like sometimes that can be sort of delightful, sort of a weird, neat thing. Well, I mean, like I would say like Terry Gilliam's cartoons, you know, just dream logic, just weird stuff. But you watch it and it's like neat. Where this is actually what a dream is like when you think back and you're like, none of that made any sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I can see it, especially that first episode. I can see the connections and the similarities and the tonal stuff that is and like Monty Python. And I could see Python. that first show from watching that and knowing when it was done. I could see some promise in that, that it could develop into something that could have been something, but it didn't. It yeah. didn't it, in fact, it got more disconnected as it got on. I'm yeah. surprised they kept that on television. It just it was just and not because it was offensive or anything. It was just stupid. 
Yeah, like it is one of those things that if you, if this is what you need for some reason, I don't know why, but if you are in the market for a truly non sequitur filled, bizarre TV show, this is top dog. This is <laughs> one of the weirdest shows I've ever seen. But yeah, just not, not funny, but also not even entertaining really <laughs> you're not like along for the wild ride you're just like what is fucking going on <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's weird because uh, uh i mean i guess i'd say i was disappointed but i was i'll make no bones about it i thought that was just dumb i guess though what i was concerned about is that it wouldn't be as build you know like when they're talking about how it it stretched the boundaries and it changed comedy or it opened up doors I was afraid, like a lot of times people, when they look back at these landmark shows, they're exaggerating. And it's actually kind of the same thing as what came before it. And it's not as radical as people say it is. That is as radical as they said it was. But uh, but yeah, I didn't really like it. <laughs> so I'll give it credit for that. But it's pretty fucking lame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they should have stopped after Q5 season and just left it at that. Mm, yeah. I mean, I was thinking that too. I was thinking how I was giving the uh, BBC archivists a hard time. And uh, I still think it's insane that they just deleted stuff. But as I was watching that, I was thinking like, yeah, but I guess if I was them back in the day with, again, just no conception that there would ever be an internet or archival stuff that anyone would care about old TV. And you're watching this because it really has that feeling of a just a, a junior high school talent show or something. It's just a bunch of guys exactly just, just there. jerking around. Junior high school talent show. Just yeah. a bunch of stupidity. It certainly doesn't feel, yeah, like important <laughs> to keep didn't it. Even have, it didn't have as much direction as the junior high school talent show would have. So I guess that's what I, I think is interesting, I guess, is... It's like when you watch older, the more classic stuff that we watched, it is more formulaic and more, you know, Lucy and Ricky or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, but leave it to Beaver, any of that stuff. Those shows were better, but they were of an old style. So to get to the new style, I mean, I guess you got to go through some rocky roads and this is the rocky road. Even, but even to do the the new style you've got to have somebody who has a little bit of sense of connection yeah this this is not this had no connection or like we were saying when we watched kids in the hall it's surprising how uh how well they connect like the cab drivers back in this sketch from the earlier sketch and just different stuff yeah like or and monty python yeah did a lot of stuff like we were talking about the uh the ladies who were trying to go visit Jean-Paul Sartre and they accidentally drift their way into the Norrell saga. Yeah, like there's some kind of yeah. cohesion. Yeah. And yeah, this had zero cohesion. Even like, even within each sketch, it had no cohesion. This was like, um, you have a thought. Okay, let's film that. Yeah. And then, oh, I have another thought. Oh, let's film that. Oh, oh, I, I just thought of this. Let's do that. There was no connection at all. No and I'm not saying everything has to be connected completely, but you have to have some little bit of uh, ingenuity, not just like, oh, there's my thought. Okay, let's let's do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, how does it fit in with it? It doesn't matter. Oh, I got another thought. It's like the the dark oh. side of the subjectivity of comedy, because I mean, you could always say that about any joke, like, well, why is it funny? It's like, well, I don't know. You know, either you find it funny or you don't, but. 
I feel like this guy weaponized that idea. You well, know, if anyone had a laughing track in there, because believe me, you would have no idea that you were supposed to laugh oh, or you know, win. You know what that just made me think of is um. So there's uh this comedian Andrew Dice Clay who he was yes, like yes yes know him well yeah. I don't know what, I don't know <laughs> well. I've got all his albums. <laughs> But yeah, his basic shtick was, yeah, just like weird uh, offensive comedy, like, uh, hickory dickory dock, this chick came and sat on my cock, you know, just dumb shit like yeah. that. But he did this album once that, uh, depending on your view of it, is either genius or the worst thing ever, called The Day the Laughter Died. And it's because he was so famous at that point that people were just laughing because he's Andrew of Dice Clay. He is, yeah. So he did not just a, an album, a double album where he told no jokes. He just did his shtick with that, like, cadence. Ba, 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 like he's telling a joke, but he didn't tell a joke. And everybody laughed. For two fucking hours, everyone laughed. And he did that just to prove the point of, like, you guys aren't even listening anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of what I feel like with that, like, audience in the Spike Milligan show. Like, it's just, you know, you'd feel awkward if you were the one person not laughing. So everyone just laughs, but there's nothing funny happening. Yeah, nothing funny. <laughs> well, anyway, so that was uh, okay. quite the way to finish off our, our Monty Python thing, right? That it kept going up and up and up, and we were like, oh, I hope Monty Python like lives up to our memories. And then it does, and then, then we finish off by falling off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, because even, it is so weird, like, stuff, when I was watching this, stuff that I felt like should be funny. Like this weird uh, sketch was one of the more cohesive ones, where for some reason a guy agreed he was going to sing Ave Maria as he leaped, leaped off a cliff. So, of course, he died on the rocks. And then the record company sued his family, so now his family's trying to figure out ways to complete the song and complete the contract, so they're making weird parachutes, and it's still stupid. But just the, the bizarre violence of leaping off a cliff to your death should be sort of funny, and it's just not. <laughs> like, how, like that's what I found really weird is like I stuff like I'm like I feel like I should think this is funny and it just but it so anyway <laughs> yeah. and even that restaurant sketch where they were hammering all the patrons to death and throwing them out windows and and the Anglican bishop is the host who comes like what's that all out about yeah. And even the couple that comes in and is looking for the table, like, it doesn't go anywhere. All of a sudden, they just say, well, that's the end of that sketch. And they all walk off to, off the set. Yeah. Uh, but then that's the other thing is it's not just weirdness. It did have old school, corny Catskill jokes in in it, too, of like weird jokes about like, I don't know, you could have my mother-in-law. She's upstairs on the bed, whatever. It's like, yeah, why'd yeah. you put that in? You know, if you you put a joke in and it's the worst joke. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But, I, that, but it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't grow, or there's not a follow-up to it, or anything. It's just like a little one-liner that's thrown in there. Yeah. I don't know. I could definitely see comedy nerds, comedy hipsters, that would probably be like, oh, it's the funniest thing ever, but yeah, it's like... Yeah, well, go for it then, buddy. Be good. But I thought it was stunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So, uh, well, I guess we're in agreement. <laughs> that's a bonus. That's a, a plus. <laughs>